For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, translated to English, El Paso means the path. So let's take a look at El Paso to El Paso for both Stanford and Pitt. Cardinal and Panthers in the Sun Bowl set to happen in El Paso on Monday. Can't wait to be there for it. And glad you've joined us for this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Friday, December 28th, 2018. Hope the holidays have treated you well to this point. I'm indeed Troy Clarity, the host of this show. Glad you're back with us. And we've got a lot of ground to cover and a lot of things to do on this show as we get you ready for Stanford versus Pitt in the Sun Bowl. Stanford, of course, 8-4 on the season out of the Pac-12 North. And the Pitt Panthers, good season for them, 7-6 on the year, but winners of the ACC Coastal Division. And the Panthers trending in the right direction overall as a program, but do they have enough to beat the Stanford Cardinal? Well, that's going to take up the bulk of our discussion here on the show. We're going to have some help with a couple of special guests. Number one, Stanford defensive coordinator. Of course, he's also known as the Willie Shaw director of defense. Any way you want to slice it, he's Lance Anderson. He is going to join us in a few minutes. We'll get his thoughts on the matchup against Pitt. And a a pretty interesting season for Stanford defensively. In a good way and in some not-so-good ways as well. We'll cover all of that ground with Lance Anderson coming up a bit later on in the show. And we're going to get the Pitt perspective of things. As you may or may not know, I lived in Pittsburgh for four years, worked in sports radio there before returning back to the Bay Area in 2014. And I actually spent a year traveling with Pitt football. And uh, my time in Pittsburgh was spent covering the Panthers overall as well. And there are fewer people better to chat Panther football with than Paul Zeiss, columnist for the Pittsburgh uh, Post-Gazette, sports columnist for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, as well as the evening host on 93.7 The Fan, the station that I worked with back in Pittsburgh. So looking forward to talking a little Panther ball with Paul Zeiss a bit later on in the show as well. Can't wait to be in El Paso on Monday, although Stanford is going to be bringing a bit of a skeleton crew with them, as I'm sure that most of you are aware, Bryce Love out for the Sun Bowl. He is not playing. He is getting ready for the NFL draft, as is Nate Herbig. Meanwhile, just playing out for the Sun Bowl and just playing injured, that list is pretty long. Trent Irwin, unable to go. He, of course, is now also going to be able to get ready for the NFL draft as well. Walker Little, left tackle. He is out for the game. Dylan Jackson, defensive lineman, is out for this game. And Alameen Murphy, defensive back for Stanford, 
will not play either. Foster Sorrell, offensive tackle, uh, his status in some question as I speak. Uh, we don't know if he's going to be able to play getting closer by the t- by the day, but at last check, uh, David Shaw said that he was r- rather skeptical at that point about Foster Sorrell's availability uh, for this game against uh, the Pitt Panthers. So really a skeleton crew for Stanford on, on both sides of the ball, but we've kind of come to expect that uh, throughout much of the season as injuries have played a big role for Stanford this year as uh, they didn't really have a lot of bodies available in the spring. Got a few more as the start of the season, but then as the season went along, uh, Stanford really started to become uh, a, a triage unit as the season began. So unfortunately for the Cardinal in that respect, it is standard operating procedure. But Stanford got on the plane. They headed to El Paso on December the 26th. And it's been an interesting year, to be sure. An interesting road to El Paso. And we're going to look at, I think, the three biggest plays of the season that, that, that sent Stanford on this course, on El Paso to El Paso, so to speak. And, and, and the, these aren't maybe necessarily the, 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 the three biggest, the most exhilarating plays, uh, the three best plays of the year, but these definitely, I believe, are the three plays that really set the stage for Stanford's ultimate bowl destination this season. So we're going to start here with play number three. Washington State, October the 27th. Great game. Great game. Entertaining game is all get out in the game. That certainly had a lot more riding on it than we thought coming into the season as that game would determine who stayed on top of the Pac-12 North at that point. Washington State surprising pretty much everyone by being in that position that late in the month. And a great game. Back and forth. Stanford going up big. Washington State fighting back. Gardner Minshew making big throws. K.J. Costello making big throws as well. But it came down to this one play. With the game tied at 38 and a minute three remaining. Washington State facing third and two at their own 33-yard line. Spread them out. Find the uh, find the most uh, uh, most advantageous matchup. That's what the air raid is all about. And Gardner Minshew executed that to perfection as he hit Jameer Coleman down the seam 35 yards for the big-time first down. Jameer Coleman, Calvin rather, covered by Sean Barton, a linebacker. And Barton had terrific coverage, terrific coverage on the play. But the only thing better than the coverage by Barton was the throw by Minshew. Picture perfect, dropping the bucket. Calvin able to make the catch. 35 yards on third and two. Gutsy throw, by the way, by Minshew. Washington kicked, Washington State rather kicked the game-winning field goal with 14 seconds left. And Wazoo got the 41-38 win over Stanford back on October the 27th and set the stage for, for what they had at stake for them the rest of the way. And, and, and kind of put Stanford in a bit, bit of a bit of a, a bit of a comeback mode in the sense in the Pac-12 North the rest of the way. So that, to me, was the third most important play of the season for Stanford, one that didn't go the Cardinals' way. Play number two went Stanford's way, and it happened against Oregon on September the 22nd. What a great game that was up at Eugene and Autzen Stadium. And it was really, there were two plays I could have chosen here that really turned the tide uh, for Stanford in this game, I could have gone with with a with a CJ Verdell's fumble with a minute to go that Noah Williams forced 
and Sean Barton, there, there he is again, uh, recovered at the Stanford 40. Stanford kicked the game-winning, the game-tying field goal, rather, sent it to overtime and went on to win from there. I could have very easily gone with that play. But truly, the biggest play from that game came with Stanford down 24-7 to late in the third quarter after Oregon appeared to have gone ahead 30-7 to after a long run, appeared to result in a touchdown, but the Oregon player kicked the pylon on his way into the end zone, ruled out of bounds, and instead of a six points and a 30-7 to lead for Oregon, it was first and goal for the Ducks at the Stanford one-yard line. Two plays later, the snap, the shotgun snap, goes over Justin Herbert's head. Herbert can't find it. Joey Alfieri does, and he takes it back to scoop and score 80 yards for the touchdown that put Stanford back in that game. What a swing that was. Stanford could have been down 31-7. to Instead, they were only down 24-14 late in the third quarter. Scored again to make it 24 to 21, and Stanford was right back in the ball game. But that that fumble recovery by Joey Alfieri and the touchdown that ensued really set the stage for what we saw in the remainder of that that frenetic and frantic finish up in Eugene. And by the way, that was the Pac-12 Network's number one game in Pac-12 football of the year. No arguments there from that standpoint. And really, that end result with Stanford beating Oregon 38-31 that day was really critical in keeping Stanford ahead of the pack uh, throughout the, 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 the following month in Pac-12 North play and also keeping Stanford ahead of the Ducks as well in the standings. Take away that result. If Oregon wins that game and everything else happens the way that it turned out, then it's Oregon and Stanford flip-flopping with Stanford uh, finishing uh, below Oregon in the standings. So that was, that was a critical. So many plays I could have chosen. From that contest, really, the, 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 the Alfieri uh, fumble and, and scoop and score uh, really was the biggest play of that game. And the second play, in my mind, of the entire season, the second most important play, in my mind, of the entire season. But the number one play of the Stanford football season, the most important play of the Stanford football 2018 season, wasn't actually a play. It was more a sequence. Let me take you back to Seattle, November 3rd, Husky Stadium, Washington ahead 27-23, trying to fight off a furious comeback by Stanford, who was who was down early. So how, how often was that a theme for the Cardinal this year? But found a way to sneak back into it, played very well on both sides of the ball in the second half and found themselves only down by four, starting a drive at their own 15-yard line with 2.05 to go and no timeouts. Stanford got a first down at its own 30 with 125 left. K.J. Costello completed a pass to Bryce Love for eight yards, putting the ball at the Stanford 38. From here, things started to devolve because Stanford, for some inexplicable reason, and still inexplicable to me, uh, started substituting players. Instead of keeping the same personnel on the field, and like you normally do during the two-minute drill, because when you substitute players offensively, the referees, the officials, give the defense a chance to make any substitutions it might need to make as well. It's only fair, right? seems like it's one of the, the few rules in the game now that actually helps the defense out a little bit. But if the clock is running, then that means the clock runs during that substitution. The clock doesn't stop. 
It keeps going. So Stanford substituted after that eight-yard uh, completion to Bryce Love. They snapped the ball on that play with 125 to go. With the substitutions, Stanford did not make its next snap of the ball until 59 seconds remained. KJ Costello completes a pass on second and two, hits Mike Wilson, Michael Wilson for 13 yards, ball inside Washington territory, first down Stanford. Cardinal substitute again. Clock is stopped, but it winds again because Wilson didn't get out of bounds. And Stanford substitutes again. They don't snap the ball until 28 seconds left on the clock. Let's say that that, that pass to Michael Wilson ran about seven, eight seconds or so. Let's say that maybe you need about an extra 10 seconds or so to, to get everyone set and ready to go. Stanford lost at least 15 seconds of time. That's at least one or two more plays, by the way. By substituting. It was bonkers. Stanford lost so much time on that final on that final drive. And with 28 seconds to go, KJ Costello hit Connor Weddington for 15 yards, another first down, and then Costello had to run up and spike the clock with 11 seconds to go. Two shots at the end zone came up empty, and Stanford lost 27-23 to Washington, and that cemented the Cardinals' fate as far as the Rose Bowl is concerned. With that loss, Stanford knocked out of the Rose Bowl race, the race for the Pac-12 North Championship. And with that win, Washington stayed in it, and now they're getting ready for Pasadena, while Stanford is not. But that sequence really, I think, was the most important series of plays all season long for Stanford. And it, and it led in part to what K.J. Costello said after that game, which I think is the quote of the year when it comes to Stanford football. In my view, we win football games because we dominate situations. And we're dominating situations that are very, very hard. And we're not dominating situations that win you football games week in and week out. Yep. That's about the size of it. And that's the quote of the year from K.J. Costello. Perfectly sums up what Stanford football was all about this season. And it also sums up in part why, why Stanford is in El Paso this year. Look, Fun Bowl, I'm looking forward to getting on the plane myself and heading down there. Uh, the Sun Bowl treats the players well. They treat the teams well. They treat the fans well. They treat the media well. But as, as, as nice as the Sun Bowl makes it, El Paso ain't Pasadena. And that sequence at the end of the Washington game set Stanford on a course that veered away from Pasadena and, and sent it in full comeback mode, trying to salvage the remainder of the season in November, which it did. Wins over Oregon State and UCLA and Cal were quite nice. But overall, this season is not going to be remembered for, for the great things that this team did, and there were a few. This season is going to be remembered for how hard Stanford made it on itself throughout much of the season. And no sequence this year better encapsulates that than that final drive at Washington. So that, that, that to me, was the most important play, if you can call a sequence of plays one play, and I can because these are my rules, this is my show, and I can do what I want to. But that was, to me, the most important sequence of the season and put Stanford on El Paso to El Paso.
your most important plays of the season. I'd love to hear them. At Troy Clarity is the best way to, to get at me on Twitter. You can also hashtag TreeCast. That's the best way for me to see those tweets. Hashtag TreeCast. What was your most important play of the season? Would love to get your thoughts on that. Stanford defense had some great moments. Had some frustrating moments. Lance Anderson, the Stanford defensive coordinator, one of the best in the business, in, in, in my opinion, had some highs, had some lows, some ups and some downs. Some guys really established themselves as fantastic players, while some other things didn't quite go as planned. Before the team left for El Paso, it was my pleasure to sit down and chat with the Stanford Willie Shaw director of defense, Lance Anderson, who joins us for his yearly visit with us on the TreeCast. Coach, preparation for the Sun Bowl underway. We'll get your thoughts on the Pitt Panthers here in just a moment or so. But first, let's start here. The last couple of weeks since the since the end of the regular season, a lot on everyone's plates, I'm sure. The kids trying to get healthy and do, deal with finals. How have the last couple of weeks been for you, uh, turning the page from the, from the regular season uh, to the postseason? We've definitely been busy, and uh, like you said, there's a variety of things going on. So we've spent a lot of time the last two weeks on the road recruiting. Uh, we've also been back and had a few bowl practices, which has been great. And uh, also as a staff, spending some time starting to game plan for uh, Pittsburgh. So we're uh, definitely definitely been staying busy. Take me back to the start of the season when you looked at, at, at what you had, what you thought you might have. How did the reality of the season as things developed match your expectations coming in? You know, I, I knew that we were, you know, young and inexperienced at some positions, but uh, felt like we had a really good fall camp. We really improved as time went on, and uh, I mean, our expectations were high going into the season, as they always are. And I think for for good reason. I think defensively, we started out the season strong, uh, started out fast, played really well in uh, uh, the first few games. Um, I think after that. Uh, you know, maybe we started to get overmatched a little bit by a few opponents, and you know, injuries started to take its toll a little bit as well. So, uh, you know, there was a stretch where we didn't play quite as well as I would like. Uh, you know, maybe we weren't as strong against the run, maybe not quite as physical as I'd like. But uh, we did finish the season strong. Uh, you know, good outing against Cal, and that's a, that's a great way to finish. Uh, so maybe a little more up and down than I would like, but still uh, some good things that we can grasp hold of for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, shootouts and, and high-scoring games, they're great for us and the media. They're wonderful for fans to watch. But I imagine it's a little nerve-wracking, especially for defensive coaches. Kind of take me through what, what you go through when, you know, specifically you know, maybe the, the UCLA game in particular where, you know, 49 points and you needed all of them to win. We certainly did, yeah. I mean, as a defensive coach, you definitely don't like games like that. And, you know, we had a chance where we had that 14-point lead and got the, the, the interception by Paulson and thought that the – tied the momentum was really going to swing and then uh all of a sudden there's the safety the um, kickoff return for a touchdown and it's a ball game again and uh you know we're a lot, a lot of back and forth we got a key stop there at the end when it counted but uh yeah those aren't games that a defense coordinator loves those high scoring shootouts but uh yeah we'd, we'd rather uh you know like you know cal keep them out of the end zone until you know their last offensive play and you know but uh i, I think we've learned a lot this year and i think uh we've got a lot of guys reps and some young guys have had to step up with their injuries. Uh, they've improved. They've gotten better. Um, and we're, we're just looking to finish on a, on a high note here, finish strong, and you know, build on what we did a, a week ago against Cal. 
You mentioned Paulson Adebo, obviously, and you and I talked about him back in the spring, and you were starting to, you know, kind of get the hype train moving for him just a little bit. And as the season started and as it developed, wow, just a revelation for him. But it seemed like you guys knew it all along. Your thoughts on how things went for him this uh, this regular season? You know, you you started seeing the potential. You started seeing, you know, glimpses of what he could be. But you know, at that point, you know, when last fall and last spring, like you referenced. You know, it is just potential at that point. And, uh, you know, guys have to work hard and take that next step. And it was just, it was so satisfying to see that he actually did that. So all the potential that was there, all the promise, what we thought he was capable of, it was great to see that realized uh, this year with him playing at a high level. Uh, you know, just the number of pass breakups and times he's getting his hand on hands on the ball. Uh, you know, and there are areas that he can still improve. You know, he can become a better tackler, and that was evidenced at certain times this year. But you know, love his willingness to, you know, stick his, uh, you know, stick his face in there and be physical. You know, willing to, uh, you know, make those tackles when he needs to. Willing to be physical when he needs to. And just he's he's so athletic. Just such good cover skills, good ball skills. You know, can make plays on the ball, and that's so important to that position. And just you know, really pleased with. His progress this year. Yeah, and those two interceptions against Cal, each especially impressive in, in, in their own way. The first one making like Willie Mays and the second one just snatching the ball away from the guy. Oh, yeah, no question. They were just critical times in the game, too. You know, the one that he makes in the end zone, I mean, that's a that's a drive stopper. That's a momentum changer right there when they were, you know, in plus territory. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we get the ball back. And then uh, there at the end of the game when he, you know, makes the interception and returns it down inside the five-yard line and allows us to punch it in to kind of seal the game. You know, just a, you know, a huge play. And you know he's those were critical plays in that game, and it's uh, you know he's he's made those kind of plays for us all year long. A couple of seniors handling things at the inside linebacker spot with uh, Bobby Okariki and Sean Barton, and of course uh, their value was well proved during the Cal game, where I believe they played every single snap uh, respectively throughout the course of that game, plus special teams as well. Uh, those the season that those two uh, that, 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 that those two guys have had, how would you assess it? Really played well, and that's you know really started for Bobby, you know, a year ago where, you know, he just kept getting better and better and, um, you know, played at a high level all season long for us, um, you know, real playmaker, you know, and then Sean started out so strong a year ago and then had the injury and that, you know, severe knee injury that, you know, took a lot of hard work to come back from. And you see a guy who's gotten better and better all year long. I think especially as he's gotten healthier and healthier. Or maybe at the beginning of the knee, that beginning of the year, that knee was still affecting him a little bit. Now you see that, you know, he's really moving like the old Sean Barton. And he brings so much energy and so much passion for the game. And it just rubs off on everybody you know, around. It's, just, it's great to see those guys step up in a game like that and play so well because we have been beat up at that position and, you know, there weren't a lot of other options to go to and those guys did. They responded and played every snap. Um, you know, big forced fumble by Bobby that Sean recovered and, uh, you know, some solid tackles by both of them, some big plays all game long and it's just, they've been so reliable all year long. It's great to see them finish, uh, you know, the regular season like that. Paulson obviously takes top billing in this category, but who are some of the other young guys who have who have gotten the opportunities, especially perhaps due to injury, but and really uh, made the most of their opportunities so far this year? You know, I, I look to the two outside linebackers this year who played a lot for us, Gabe Reed and Jordan Fox, who you know, started the year as backups, but then with the injuries to Joey Alfieri and Casey Tuhill, those guys have really stepped up and played well. Um, 
giving us some pass rush and uh, you know some pressure on the quarterback. You know, shown some playmaking ability, and both of them have played really physical. There's definitely room for improvement there with both of them. You know, more consistency, but uh, they they've responded well. Uh, just another guy in recent weeks that's really stepped up is Kendall Williamson, who at the beginning of the year we weren't sure if he would redshirt or not. Uh, started getting in on a few special teams and then started to get a bigger role on uh, on defense, and he's played really solid. Played. A, I think it's most snaps against Cal, and I think he's got a really bright future for us. What's your biggest concern with the defense right now? You know, again, just our you know our stoutness against the run, um, playing physical, our tackling. Um, you know, tackling's been inconsistent. We've had some really rough weeks in terms of tackling, so that's still something we've been working in these bowl practices. Is you know trying to become more physical, making emphasis on stopping the run. A big part of that is tackling. So just drilling all the fundamentals in uh, in those areas. Couple last questions for you here as we start to turn the page and talk about the Sun Bowl against the Pittsburgh Panthers. I, I've always been interested in, in in this as far as bowl games and preparation because obviously you have the extra few weeks to get ready for an opponent. Uh, we, we just talked about, of course, the first couple weeks of that is spent recruiting and doing other housekeeping things as well. But I'm sure you also kind of popped in the tape as, as soon as you as soon as you first heard that the Panthers were going to be the opponent. Kind of take me through how the preparation differs for a bowl game than it does for regular season perhaps obviously you just have have more time i think is the big thing and so you know the day that we found out the day of our banquet which was that night you know headed out recruiting but before that i'm able to download every single game onto my computer so even though doing a lot of traveling over the last two weeks like i said every free bit of time that you get whether it's on a plane it's in the hotel at night you're able to put that film on and watch it so the good thing is you have a lot more time so I think you can be a lot more detailed and and try to find you know little tendencies or little things here and there that that might help you have a chance to kind of review things over and over like uh, you have a chance to you know sit down and look at a first and second down game plan or a third down game plan red zone goal line but then with that extra time, you just have more time to sit down and, and critique it and kind of watch everything again. And, okay, does this fit best or, you know, is there something better out there? And I'm even looking forward to that, you know, a few days over Christmas to once we finish practice, go back and let's look at everything again. And let's, let's really, by the time we get to El Paso, really zero in on what we think we, we do best. So you definitely have a lot more time to I don't know, maybe overthink things a little bit, but uh, definitely have more time. Yeah, I guess in a sense you kind of went through that process a little bit with Cal, with having the extra extra time to prepare for those guys. But but the Panthers, your initial thoughts on Pitt, a fine season for them overall. Uh, you popping the tape on Pitt, what are some things that pop out at you? First thing that jumps out is just their ability to run the football. Um, two running backs, both over 1,000 yards, both big running backs, 225 you know plus pounds. Uh, they're they're a big physical team, big offensive line. All of them, you know, three hundred plus pounds. So what you, we've got to be ready for is a you know physical um, football game where those guys are going to run the football. And uh, so excited about that opportunity. They're they're very good at what they do. Uh, quarterbacks made some real timely throws. Is athletic as well. So it's a, they've got a lot of fly sweep. So not just the running backs are involved in the run game. It's those receivers. So they, they spread the ball around, and uh, they've got some, some really good uh, athletes at the skill positions. Should be fun. Of course, the last time you guys were at the Sun Bowl, uh, Solomon Thomas with one of the great individual efforts I've ever seen. Hopefully, I'm sure you're hoping for similar results this time around against the Pitt Panthers. The defensive coordinator, the Willie Shaw director of defense, excuse me, Lance Anderson with us here on the TreeCast. Lance, always appreciate the time. Best of luck in El Paso. Thank you very much. Sure appreciate it. Good stuff from uh, Lance Anderson. Always appreciate him uh, joining us. And uh, Solomon Thomas blew up uh, the last time Stanford went to El Paso in the Sun Bowl. So did Lance Anderson. My God, he dialed up some blitzes against Mitchell Trubisky, uh, the North Carolina quarterback, who now is Mitch Trubisky. Or was it? Is it the other way around? 
Anyway, you get what I'm saying here. Uh, boy, Anderson was spectacular in that uh, Sun Bowl performance a couple of years ago in the win over North Carolina as well. And interesting things, I think, uh, that, that Coach Anderson touched on. Uh, Gabe Reed, Jordan, uh, Jordan Fox gave them kudos, and rightfully so. Those two guys, uh, Paulson Adebo, of course, takes top billing here, but, but Reed and Fox, I think, uh, made some big-time strides uh, throughout the course of the season as well. It, it's interesting to note that Lance's biggest concern is whether they can be stout against the run. They'll certainly need to be stout against the run, against the Pitt Panthers of both. A couple of, of very productive tailbacks. More on that uh, coming up in just a second or two. But, but overall, it's amazing. to you, know, you, you kind of forget how good Stanford looked defensively after the first three games of the year. In fact, you know, Stanford was, was in, the, in the top upper echelon in college football as far as scoring was concerned. After only giving up 10 points against San Diego State, holding USC to three, and then a garbage touchdown against UC Davis, but the Aggies only scored 10 points on Stanford as well. So the Cardinal played so well defensively the first three games, but then injuries got, got, were increased, and the quality of opponent also uh, was increased as well as the, as the season uh, went along. So interesting times for the Stanford defense. They've certainly got a couple of big tests to try to, uh, to try to pass against the Pitt Panthers this time around. By the way, this year, and we talked about these high-scoring shootout games that Stanford has been involved in uh, this season with Lance Anderson. Um, this is Stanford's first time allowing 30 or more points in five or more games in the season since 2009. And it's also this, the first time that Stanford has allowed 40-plus points in three games or more in a season since 2007. So it, it's been interesting from a scoring standpoint, especially considering how, how it started uh, for Stanford in that category this year. But they've been able to make some big plays along the way, specifically against Oregon when it needed to most, uh, specifically against UCLA when they had to hang on for dear life, and particularly against Cal as well. And Arizona State, too. They really came up big on the road uh, back in mid-October as well. Don't underestimate how important that win was for Stanford uh, that evening in Tempe as well. But that's a look at some of the numbers for Stanford. How about Pitt? What are some things that, that they're all about? Well, Pitt is mentioned seven and six on the season, and they and they won the ACC Coastal Division, but then got pasted by Clemson in the ACC Championship game. But still, this Pitt squad has done some some very good things, and perhaps uh, the, the the most impressive thing that they've been able to accomplish this year has been in the running game. You heard Lance Anderson refer to it, and Pitt has two running backs who have racked up over 1,000 yards rushing this year. Kadri Allison, the team leader, with just under 1,200 yards, and Darren Hall with just over 1,000. So Allison and Hall uh, form the bulk of the pit rushing attack and the pit offense. Uh, Kenny Pickett, the pit quarterback, has, has had some good days, especially against Wake Forest, uh, the game and the win that clinched them uh, the Coastal Division Championship and sent them to the ACC title game. So, And, and, and they've got... They've got uh, They've got a head coach in Pat Narduzzi who has his foundation, has built this team around defense and being tough nose. 
Uh, Pat Narduzzi hired a few years ago from Michigan State where he was the defensive coordinator for the Spartans. Oh, oh wait a minute. Uh, Michigan State played against Stanford when Narduzzi was, a, was a, the, the, the defensive coordinator for the Spartans. They played each other in the Rose Bowl. Oh, hey. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. That is how that, that game turned out. But some numbers of interest to me when it concerns the Pitt Panthers. I'll give you three of them right now. Uh, number one. The average length of a pit football game this year, three hours and 19 minutes. Not bad. That's actually a pretty good clip in this day and age in college football. Three hours and 19 minutes, and that includes an overtime game at Syracuse in which that went four and a half hours. Why does the fact that pit football games run on average three hours and 19 minutes interest me? Well, quite honestly, because kickoff in El Paso is at noon, and my flight out of El Paso is at 537 that evening. So that's why I'm interested in uh, things going according to form for pit football when it comes to length of game on uh, Monday afternoon. Number two is eight. That's the second number for you when it concerns pit football. And that number eight is the number of head coaches and interim head coaches that Pitt has had since December 1st, 2010. Mike, Dave Wanstead, rather, was fired. Uh, December 1st, 2010, by the way, was the, the season for the regular season finale at Cincinnati. That game was played in the snow at Nippert Stadium. I was there. That was the year I traveled with uh, Pitt football, working their radio broadcast. Uh, Dave Wanstead coached in that game, was fired. Then Mike Haywood was hired. He was the head coach of Miami of Ohio in mid-December and then fired 16 days later after after he was after after he was arrested on domestic violence charges that were later dropped. Phil Bennett coached Pitt in the BBVA Compass Bowl in the interim down in Birmingham. I was there for that one too. Then Todd Graham ugh, was hired in January, led Pitt to a six and six regular season record in 2011. Then he bolted for Arizona State that December. Pitt fans weren't too unhappy to see that happen. Keith Patterson coached the Panthers in the BBVA Compass Bowl as the Panthers made a return trip to the, to Birmingham. Uh, Keith Patterson, the interim head coach there. Then Paul Christ, yes, that's Keller Christ's uncle, was hired in December 2011. Did some decent things for the Panthers, left after three years and went to Wisconsin, where he is still the head coach there. The Badgers last seen pasting the Miami Hurricanes in the Pinstripe Bowl. Joe Rudolph was the Panthers' interim head coach at the 2014 Armed Forces Bowl. And then Pat Narduzzi was hired uh, for the 2015 season. So since December 1st, 2010, Pitt has had eight different head coaches or interim head coaches. Since December 1st, 2010, Stanford has had exactly two head coaches. Jim Harbaugh and then David Shaw. So number eight is another number to keep in mind when you're watching Pitt football. But perhaps the, the, the biggest number to keep in mind when you're watching the Panthers on Monday is this. Four. Four. That's the number of second-half comebacks the Panthers had this year. Came back to beat Syracuse. Came back to beat Duke. They were down by 11 in the second half of that one. Came back to win. 
down to Virginia in the second half, came back to win, and beat Wake Forest in comeback fashion as well. So four second-half comeback wins for the Pitt Panthers so far this season. They're going to be looking for five if it comes to that. Meanwhile, Stanford would love to have nothing to do with the potential comeback situation for the Pitt Panthers. I'm sure Stanford would love to have nothing to do with a comeback situation for either team, period. But what other things do we need to know about the Pitt Panthers? Well, I've been looking forward to having this conversation since since it came out that Stanford was going to be facing Pitt in this Sun Bowl. For that, let's have a chat with a guy I know from my days in Pittsburgh. He is the evening host at 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh, the station that I worked at, was the executive producer and host for, helped launch that station, God, almost nine years ago. Wow. He is also a sports columnist for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and he is one of the best people to talk pit football with for a lot of different reasons. Very pleased to welcome into the TreeCast, Paul Zeiss. Paul, thanks for talking to us today, man. How you doing? I am doing well, Troy. How are you doing? I'm doing splendid. Looking forward to uh, being in the house uh, in El Paso and checking out Stanford versus Pitt. The first time, finally, in 86 years that these two teams meet uh, on the football field. And, and, and let's get your thoughts on Pitt football as a whole coming into this game. Uh, Panthers won the Coastal Division. They played in the ACC Championship game. Uh, overall, when you looked at things coming into this season, what did you expect of the Panthers? Um, you know, I thought they would be about eight and four and I thought that, uh, they'd get to a bowl game and, uh, if they could win it, they'd have a chance to be nine and four. So I, I, you know, I kind of expected them to be where they're at. I, I thought that their schedule was a little too tough for them to be, you know, realistically better than eight and four. Um, and, and, you know, the thing about it is they would, they would have already gotten eight wins if they just took care of North Carolina, which is ridiculous that they lost to the, to, to the worst team in the ACC. But, um, you know, it's been ups and downs, Troy. Uh, I think if you really like, take a look at Pitt in this season, uh, people, the, the expectations were based on two things. You know, the defense was very, very experienced coming back from last year. And they had, you know, a young quarterback and Kenny Pickett in place. And uh, it was kind of like, well, you know, he showed that Miami game last year that he has a chance to be pretty good. Well, I think the defense started out – struggling a little bit but the, the caveat is they faced you know penn state which had a great offense um central florida had a great offense mm-hmm. they faced georgia tech who runs that ridiculous option thing so early in the season they have you know they, they struggled a little bit but the, the offenses they were playing had something to do with it really the run that they made to get to the coastal division you know title was a lot about that defense sort of putting it together and being the kind of unit that you thought they would be. <clears throat> Kenny Pickett, on the other hand, Troy, um, mixed bag, but he has a long, long way to go. I mean, I think the biggest problem that Pitt had offensively this year is outside of the Wake Forest game, they really couldn't scare anybody or beat anybody through the air. Yeah, and maybe you just hinted at it here with the, the defense's turnaround, but, but, but Pitt lost three of its first five, then won five of its next six. Is the defense the only difference in between those two time periods, or were there other things at work uh, that was able to make the Panthers turn things around as the season went along? 
Well, here's the thing. I mean, um, the, the, the defense really improved, but the other part of it was they, you know, the line, the offensive line came together. They simplified the offense because it was being, uh, become pretty clear that they weren't going to, again, beat people through the air. And they just put the offense on the backs of Quadri Olison and Darren Hall, the two really you know, good, big, strong running backs that they have. And they just basically said, we're going to go back and play old-school football and do what we do best, and that is hand the ball off to these two guys and run right at you and just be more physical and tougher than you are. And the thing about it is um, it sounds like you can't win that way, but you've watched Stanford win a zillion games that way over Mm -hmm. the last, I don't know how many years, um, since David Shaw took over. That's sort of been their formula. Uh, Just be tougher and more physical at the point of attack and run right at teams. And then when you do that, now all of a sudden Kenny Pickett has a few play-action shots down the field. You know, um, you can do some things to take away the screen, uh, you know, the screen game or whatever, you know, the things you can do to get him to at least have a little bit of success in the passing game because teams are loading up eight, nine, you know, guys in the box. Now, I I think it should be really, uh, really clear if you watch the last two games of the year against Miami and against uh, Clemson, you know, uh, they, they, they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't protect the pass. They couldn't do anything, really, uh, offensively at all. They had eight yards passing in the ACC championship game. Mm. Um, part of that is the defense, you know, the front sevens of both of those teams uh, are obviously really good. There's NFL players in, in both front sevens. But, you know, Troy, the bigger issue is in the Wake Forest game, which was the game right before the, you know, the Miami game. It was the game they clinched the Coastal Division. Right near the end, they ran some sort of a play where they, it was like a throwback to the offensive tackle. And the center, Jimmy Morrissey, who was far and away their best offensive lineman, ran out in front of the play, was blocking in the end zone, and the tackle, I forget who, which, which of the tackles it was, but the tackle got about the three-yard line and decided to do the, uh, you know, Marcus Dupree or whatever and dove into the end zone yeah. and landed on the back of Morrissey's leg and tore up his ankle. Oh. So he's out for the year, needed really surgery, reconstructive surgery, everything was a bad injury. You take Morrissey out of that line. They didn't really have depth to begin with, but you take Morrissey, their best offensive lineman, out of this equation and the fact that he plays center, which means he made all the calls and all the other stuff he does. Um, the last two games, they were not at all the same line. They had to do a makeshift thing. They had a guy playing center who was not nearly as good as Morris. In fact, it was the guy that Morrissey beat out last year. So um, that's a key part of the game, Troy. If you really want something to watch, watch to see if Pitt's offensive line, if the extra month of practice and all that other stuff that they were able to put it together. Because, frankly, if they can't run the ball, then it's going to be a long, long day for Pitt. What's your sense as we speak right now, just a couple days removed from the Sun Bowl, what's your sense of what the Panthers do best right now? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I would have said three, you know, before, before Morrissey went down, I would have said run the football. Right. But, um, right now, you know, they, I would say play defense. You know, I mean, I know their numbers aren't as good as you'd think they would be, but again, a lot of that's from the early part of the season when they got lit up. You know, they, they do play reasonably good defense. I mean, in the, in the ACC title game, 
they were, they, you know, they were in the game, but they had a strip sack of Kenny Pickett, and then right before the half, a strip sack that, that Clemson took back to the one yard line, and then right before the half, Kenny Pickett threw uh, a, a pick. It was either a pick six or it went to like the two or three yard line or whatever. They essentially gave fourteen points away to Clemson, so they were down twenty-eight to ten instead of. 14 to 10 was what they should have been. Um, you know, the defense played reasonably well in that game. Uh, the defense played well against Miami. Uh, you just, when you can't move the ball and you keep giving the ball back to the other team, eventually they're going to have a breakthrough. And, and so I would say right now, the best thing they do is play defense. And I also think <laughs> it sounds crazy. I mean, I'm going to the day once that playbook here, but the, their kicking game is really good. Let's let's talk a bit more about the defense here. Specifically, who are some of the players that 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 you'd like to spotlight, and who are some of the players to watch defensively uh, for the Panthers? And, and I have a feeling I know, I, I know one player in particular you, you might have an eye on uh, as the game unfolds on on Monday defensively for the Panthers. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. You know, my son. I I, I watch my son Elijah's like who's a line, the outside linebacker. Yep. I obviously watch what he does, but. Um, I think that uh, the biggest thing is um, this team, you know, the, the, the Rashard Weaver is a really, really good defensive end. He gets, you know, he makes a lot of plays. Um, you know, he gets to, into the backfield. He's really good. Um, they have a middle linebacker, uh, Elias Reynolds, who shows up a lot and is really good in, in the run game. Um, the other outside linebacker is uh, – <laughs> I, I hate trying to pronounce his name, so I'm just going to call him Sean, uh, Sean Idowu. Uh, he's African, uh, and his, his name is something like Olu, Olu Sean or something like that. Uh, so they just call him Sean. It's easier. Um, <laughs> kid from Central Catholic, Damar Hamlin, the safety, is a really, really big impact player, too. Uh, really good player. Makes a lot of tackles, makes a lot of plays. Um, you know, and they've got a kid named, uh, I think, uh, Jason Pinnock, who is a, who's a uh, – uh, um, a corner, and uh, he has really, really come along the last six games and really been a pretty good player for them. So, you know, they've got a number of guys at all three levels that can play and can play at a, at a pretty high level, um, you know, and that's that's a big part of why they've gotten better. And I think the, the other thing is, uh, Troy, most of those guys are young. So they've got another year probably. Next year's defense has a chance to be even better. Last time Pat Narduzzi, the Pitt uh, football head coach, faced uh, Stanford, uh, Pat was the defensive coordinator at Michigan State, and uh, that's, the Spartans got the better of uh, the Stanford Cardinal in the Rose Bowl a few years ago. Uh, Narduzzi went to Pitt from Michigan State, and you know, I, I talked about this earlier in the show. Stability at the head coaching position has not been a trademark of Pitt football, especially earlier in the decade, but Narduzzi seems to have stabilized things a lot uh, in, in, in that coach's office. What are some of the things that, that he's been able to contribute to the program uh, since taking over as the head man? Yeah, I mean, I think they use the word stabilize. You know, he, he, he came in, I mean, you know, and I think we don't got to go through the whole history, but everybody knows that from like 2010, until, you know, until Narduzzi arrived, it was a total circus. Um, and, you know, one of the worst decisions in the history of college sports was to fire Dave Wanstead. And really, um, it's taken them till now to try and get back to the level that Wanstead had. I mean, people could say anything they wanted to say about Wanstead. And, yeah, he lost to Cincinnati and lost a couple of games. But um, his teams actually were talented. Uh, they won a lot of games. 
They graduated. He was a pit guy that was never leaving. Um, you know, and every year they were knocking on the door of, you know, the, the Big East Championship. The bottom line is once they, when they fired him, it really caused a riff in the pit community just because, you know, he's one of the favorite sons, uh, 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 an alum, a favorite alum. Well, they were in the wilderness, Troy, really. Um, Paul Chris. You know, the, the, the Todd Graham came in for a year, and that was a total circus. Mm. Uh, you know, he just he, he basically recruited in like three weeks because that's all he had because uh, he got hired late. So he brought in just a, basically a bunch of uh, vagabonds, really, if you want to, for lack of a better word. Um, and a lot of those guys had to be run out of the program. Paul Chris came in, and he had to clean up an absolute mess. And I don't think people around here understand exactly what he did, but he had to basically strip it down and start over and rebuild the talent base. And so, you know, he got it somewhat stable. But what Pat Narduzzi is doing now is trying to take now, build on the foundation that was laid, and get it to the next level. And I think that he, you know, there are some signs that he can do that, and he's on his way to doing that. But the key is, Troy, he's got to win some more games than he's won. I mean, the reality is you can't lose to North Carolina you just can't. Not this year. You know, if you win that game, the season has a whole different feel to it. Now, all of a sudden, you're eight and six instead of seven. Uh, I'm sorry, you're eight and five instead of seven and six, which doesn't sound like a big deal. But you have an opportunity maybe to get to nine wins. Um, you know, he's got to make sure over the next few years that they win the games they're supposed to win, and that's been a big problem. Troy, you were here. Mm-hmm. That's been a big problem for Pitt going back all the way to the Marino era. In fact, I probably, if you went through, ever since uh, Dan Marino left campus, uh, I don't think they've had a season where they've won every game they're supposed to win. And so that is the next step for Pitt. Just win the games they're supposed to win. And then after that, the next step will be now you start taking down Giants, and, and, and not because you're upsetting them, but because you're good enough to beat them. And that, that's So he's got some work to do, but the fact that they – uh, re-upped them for like seven-year extension, tells you they like the track that he has the program on, and also they agree with you that stability is important. Yeah. Uh, Cal, by the way, played North Carolina earlier in the season, and they just looked like the 76 Bears against the Tar Heels. I still can't believe that happened, especially how Cal did against uh, uh, TCU in the Cheese Bowl earlier this week. And, and you and I, we could probably trade stories about Todd Graham for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> we don't have enough time uh, to seriously get into that, unfortunately. But I, I will get into this. Uh, not too many ties between these two programs. As mentioned, this is the first time that Stanford and Pitt, and Pitt have met on the football field uh, since, 19, uh, since 1932. So it's been a while. Not too many things, not too many uh, common, commonalities between these two programs, except for maybe one. Walt Harris. Walt, of course, not with a very good legacy at Stanford. For Pitt, I'd imagine maybe it's a bit more complicated because when Walt was running the show, Stanford, or Pitt rather, went to a BCS game. How do Pitt fans and how does the Pitt program look back at Walt Harris and his legacy? Well, as an aside, can I just say that Cal TCU game, it was as you know one of the worst bowl games ever, but the, the, the good news is, it will never. It, it was never in danger of becoming worse than the last time the Pitt Panthers went to the Sun Bowl. Uh, the three to nothing, drudge, awful game against Oregon State, oh. where 
there was like, uh, you know, 150 degree winds, and, and Dave Wanstead allowed Matt Cavanaugh to drop back to try and pass it 50 times, if oh. you remember that, oh. in a windstorm, basically. I, I, I tried to forget, but thanks for bringing that back up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but I just wanted to mention that because that Cal-TCU game, I heard some people talking about that might be the worst bowl game I've ever watched. No, 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 no. I was front and center for the worst <laughs> bowl game ever. And, and I can tell you that the Cal-TCU game was close, but not really uh, ever in danger of being worse than the three-to-nothing game uh, where, you know, Pitt kind of forgot, you know, that Dave Wansa and company forgot that they had Sean McCoy on their team. Anyway, um, <laughs> we go back to Walt Harris. It's interesting, but the longer we've gotten away from – Walt's time here, the more appreciated he's become. People realize what he actually did. Um, you mean you want to talk about a guy who cleaned up a mess? You know when you know he came on the heels of the Johnny Majors uh, the second time around, and that was an absolute disaster from start to finish. Um, and you know the program was arguably one of the worst programs in the country. I mean, one of the worst programs associated with a major conference in the country. Um, you could make a case. Tip was the worst by the time that, you know, Johnny Majors left. And, you know, it, it, just to give some people a perspective, I think they played like five games, uh, you know, against teams like I think Syracuse, Notre Dame, Miami. They had a, a, a five games where they literally were outscored a total of like, and, and I'm not exaggerating when I say they were outscored a total of like 240 to say, you know, 30 oh. or, or something like that. Ew. I mean, they were awful. And, you know, Walt came in, no facilities, if you remember, Troy. I mean, he was recruiting people with, uh, with blueprints to Heinz Field and blueprints to uh, the, the south side facility where they play now, where they, where they practice, you know, the, the facility with the Steelers. None of that existed when he got there. And yet he got that team to a point where 2001, 2002, 2003, and even 2004, they were actually pretty good, um, you know, and they were great. You know, they were putting guys in the NFL. And, you know, the, the problem that Walt had here was he just, again, he didn't win quite enough of the big games for people. But what happened was when he left, people realized he won a lot at Pitt and probably should have gotten more time here. And, and, and I think what happens is Pitt's been through the wilderness again because they fired Dave once that people realize now what Dave and what Walt actually were able to do was actually pretty good for Pitt. So um, Walt's legacy here gets better every year. I cannot say the same for Walt's legacy at Stanford. The only <laughs> thing that people have to say about Walt's legacy at Stanford is that it paved the way for Jim Harbaugh to come in and turn things around. Hey, Paul, as we wrap this up here really quickly, last thing for you here, fill in the blank, pretty simple. For Pitt to beat Stanford, they have to... Uh, they have to be able to complete passes. And I know it sounds, you know, wow, that's really elementary, but I think that, uh, they'll be able to run the ball some, you know, the, the running backs are good. And even though the line isn't as good as what it was before Morrissey went down, they'll, they'll be, they'll figure it out and they'll be able to run the ball. But eventually they're going to have to make, uh, passes. They're going to have to complete passes. And, 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 and get some chunk plays down the, down the field a little bit. And so it really comes down to me, if they can do that and complete some balls and, and, and get, some, uh, get some stuff going in their passing game, uh, they, they have a shot to beat uh, Stanford. If they can't, 
I, I, I don't see how they win. Should be interesting. I certainly hope it's a lot more interesting than that 3 nothing result the last time Pitt uh, was in El Paso. You can check him out evenings on at, on 93.7 The Fan, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. back in Pittsburgh. Read him in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And you can also watch out for number 25, Elijah Zeiss, on the field because his pop will be in the stands rooting him on. The one and only Paul Zeiss joining us here on the TreeCast. Paul, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. Safe travels. I'll see you down in El Paso. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll be good. It's been a long, long time, Troy. So hopefully we run into each other and uh, we can maybe uh, have one and uh, uh, talk about the old days. Yeah, no doubt. Can't wait. Uh, Good stuff with my man Paul Zeiss from 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh and the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. You can also check him out on Twitter at Paul Zeiss. His last name is spelled Z-E-I-S-E. It, kind of interesting. Maybe maybe some similarities in, in some ways between the Pitt Panthers and the Stanford Cardinal. As Pitt also going through some, some shuffling up front with their offensive line, with, with injuries and, and all sorts of things. But, but it certainly seems like, like Pitt offensively is a bit more in the image of what David Shaw and the Stanford Offensive Brain Trust would prefer the Cardinal to be. Hard-nosed, pounding the football, pounding the rock, and, and, and running the football more often than not. Stanford, for many reasons, of course, has not been able to do that this year. Thank goodness for K.J. Costello and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and, and Trenton Irwin and, and the rest of the Cardinal passing attack, which has really taken on new heights as the season has gone along. But kind of interesting, some, some similarities between, between Stanford and Pitt, uh, some similarities that, that might not necessarily present themselves uh, upon first glance. So uh, good stuff from Paul Zeiss. Really glad that he could uh, bring, uh, bring that up and uh, chat with us about all sorts of things. And, and yes, seriously, he and I could trade Todd Graham stories all day long. That, that podcast would go for hours and hours and hours. And uh, this one has already gone longer than any other tree cast uh, so far this season. All right, couple quick keys to things um, from my perspective on Monday. Can Stanford weather the storm? Uh, we know the Pitt Panthers are going to try to pound the rock, that they're going to try to test Stanford defensively on the ground, which is the right thing to do, especially given how thin Stanford is up front. Defensive line, not up to not all hands on deck personnel wise, and very, very thin with the inside linebackers. Still not much uh, behind Sean Barton and Bobby Okariki. So it's a smart move on Pitt's part if they want to try to pound the rock as much as they possibly can. Can Stanford weather the storm and try to turn the Pitt Panthers into a one-dimensional team? Uh, a dimension that that they have not been able to execute with any degree of consistency, it seems, in the passing game with Kenny Pickett. And the, the biggest key of all to me for Stanford is pretty simple. Next man up, no Bryce Love, no Trent Irwin, no Nate Herbig, no Walker Little. That means Michael Wilson, Devery Hamilton, Dylan Powell, Cameron Scarlett. I'll throw Osiris St. Brown in there too. Those dudes need to shine. Those guys need to step up. And Caden Smith, some question about his his status with his injuries that he's been that he was fighting late in the regular season. If Caden Smith can't go for Stanford, I think that 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 changes things. I mean, I, you you could operate. Look. Uh, the, the, the three-headed monster between Arcega Whiteside, Trenton Irwin, and Caden Smith. 
You can operate without one of those heads. Much more difficult to operate without two of them. J.J. can't do it all by himself. Yes, Kobe Parkinson can blow up. Ask the Oregon State Beavers and the four touchdowns that Parkinson dropped on him in the first half last month. And Michael Wilson has had moments. Osiris St. Brown has made big plays, deep plays, long plays throughout the course of the season. But still, Stanford would much rather have as many hands on deck as they possibly can in, 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 the, in the receiving uh, category. So we'll, we'll see if Caden Smith is, is limited or unable to go for long stretches or at all, how that potentially affects a Stanford passing attack, which quite honestly is going to have, have the burden placed on its shoulders in this game. The evidence of what Stanford might be able to do as far as the running game is concerned, without Bryce Love, the evidence we've seen when that's been the case over the last couple of years hasn't been good at all. So can Stanford overcome its injuries and play high-level football for 60 minutes? It's that simple. It's that simple. Look, on paper, on paper, Stanford is a better team than Pitt, maybe a much better team than Pitt on paper. But half of that team on paper is in street clothes, it seems. Can the Stanford team that got off the plane in El Paso on Wednesday, can that team beat the pit team that's in town? Might be a little closer than some folks might think. Not sure. Should be fun. Should be fun. Looking forward to being in El Paso myself, getting on the plane Sunday, heading down there, looking forward to seeing some old pit friends. Their sports information director, E.J. Borghetti, one of the very best in the business. Uh, can't wait to hang out with the Pitt football radio crew, play-by-play man Bill Hillgrove. Uh, looking forward to hanging out with him. Uh, my, my condolences to Bill Fralick, the all, one of the all-time greats in college football as offensive linemen are concerned, and a true Pitt legend, as I got a chance to hang out with him a lot during my time covering Pitt football. Uh, Freilich passed away a couple of weeks ago at age 56 due to cancer. So I wish we were going to be able to see him, but looking forward to hanging out with Pat Bostic, the pit football radio play a uh, color man as well. A lot of folks I'm looking forward to seeing along with Paul Zeiss, um, as well on both sides. This, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun, but what will truly make it fun is a Stanford win closing out the season with a, with nine wins in the ledger and finding a way to, uh, to go into the offseason on the right foot and, and ease some of the disappointment that Stanford has experienced throughout much of the year. Should be fun, and we will be on site at the Sun Bowl, and we will bring you another edition of the TreeCast in the new year. Looking forward to bringing you post-game on-field interviews and breaking it all down with you the next time we chat will likely be on January 2nd, likely that uh, that afternoon. So uh, that is likely when things are going to come at you for the next episode of the TreeCast. Thanks again to our guests, Stanford Defensive Coordinator Lance Anderson and Paul Zeiss of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and 93.7 The Fan back in Pittsburgh and also father of Elijah Zeiss, number 25 and starting outside linebacker for the Panthers. I'm Troy Clary. Don't drink and drive, especially this holiday season, especially with the the, uh, new year upon us. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. We'll talk to you in the new year. Thanks for checking us out on another edition of the TreeCast with Troy Clary. 
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.